looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Are you annoyingly even keel? Emethamine could be right for you. I have a disease, alright? I need help! Emethamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god! Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Ah, oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hi, this is Steve Largent from the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Folks, the book is called Inside Pitch, Insiders Reveal Hell ill-fated Seattle pilots that played into bankruptcy in one year. On the phone right now is author Rick Allen. Good morning out in the West Coast there, Rick. How are you? It's great out here. Actually, the sun is shining, which is, and I'm on the Seattle side where it's normally raining, so it's a good day. Can't complain there. Yeah, that's definitely a plus, especially in that neck of the woods from what we hear yeah. the weather. 
So first and foremost, I'm going to go with a softball question. Why write this book? Well, I didn't have any idea I'd be writing this book, actually. I never had the thought in my mind. But I was on a tour of Africa with my wife, and we were in a small group of about 20, and a guy was sitting at our dinner table one night, and he started, which we did, I didn't know him, started telling baseball stories about his time in Major League Baseball. And I kind of tune in because I'm a big baseball fan and a baseball, I would play ball, and he starts talking about the Seattle Pilots. And I'm, you know, I'd read Ball Four. I thought Ball Four was a fantastic book. But this guy was an administrator with the team, and he was telling all these funny stories about other administrators. And I thought, geez, that's that's hilarious. See, some of these stories are hilarious. Others of them were kind of eye-openers. And I found out he lived in Arizona. We agreed to meet when we came back from Africa, because I'm in Arizona for spring training usually every year. And we carried on the conversation. And during that conversation, he mentions a guy named Jim Kittlesby. And I said, that's funny. I knew a guy named Jim Kittlesby. I worked with him at PLU. Pacific Lutheran University. He says, yeah, that's the guy. And I said, what? And so it turns out Jim Kittlesby, who I worked with for seven or eight years, was administrator with the pilots who I didn't know. This was, I worked with him like six, seven, eight years after 1969. So he also lived in Arizona. So I got the three of us together and they started telling their stories and it just kind of fell in my lap. And I thought, man, this is a great inside look at the business side of the same 1969 team that Jim Bouton looked at the players. And it really kind of, in my mind, was kind of a bookend to complete a picture of this franchise. So that's how I got there. Okay. Well, I've been doing some homework on this book, and the pilots, obviously, I've heard of them, and following baseball history and where they end up moving to Milwaukee and bought out of bankruptcy. Some guy named Bud Selig, I don't know if anybody's heard of him, ended up becoming a commissioner, I think. Uh, yep. but, but what was the most interesting thing you would say you learned in doing your research for this, pro- for this book? Well, I, you know, I knew that I knew vaguely knew the story of the pilots because I'd read uh, Ball Four and knew that they had gone bankrupt, and I knew that Milwaukee had purchased them out of bankruptcy and taken them to Milwaukee. But what I didn't know was all of the things that happened before Bud Selig ever got in the picture that kind of led to this whole bankruptcy. I mean, it all started when uh, the team in Kansas City moved to Oakland. The Athletics. And, yeah, the Athletics. And Kansas City was upset because they'd put poured money into the team. And basically, they said, look, we want our, we want a team in here. We want them now. And Major League Baseball said, okay, well, we're going to expand in 71 or 72. But Kansas City said, no, you're going to give us a baseball team next year. Well, when they did that... Major League Baseball was between a rock and a hard place because they needed to have another team to balance the schedule. And they were already talking about expansion, but not in the American League. And this forced them to expand in the American League. The the pilots uh, were already the AAA Seattle Rainiers, owned or run by the Sorianos, who ended up with the pilots 
So their three-year kind of expansion timeline, like, you know, we'll, we'll work our way into this and learn as we go, turned into a one-year transition. And they were behind the ball, the eight ball, right from the start. So that, that kind of then started to flow into a whole series of other mistakes and decisions that took us to probably about mid-year, July or August, when everybody saw that they were going to go bankrupt. And I think it's about then, honestly, that uh, Bud Seelig got in the picture. In Seattle, everybody blamed Bud Seelig because he's the guy who took the team. But really, there's a lot of stuff that went on far before that that led to the demise of the team. Yeah, there were secret talks and everything else like that beforehand. But oh yeah, for those, but before all that happens, uh, if anybody knows their baseball history, the former Indians owner William Daly right. was actually involved as a majority shareholder, if I remember that correctly. Of the yeah, pilot. he owned forty-seven. He owned forty-seven percent. Now, when did he get involved? And because you also obviously hear when you tell this story that he did not want to pump more money into the organization because they needed more time to get into the new stadium and everything else like that. So, when did do you know when Mr. Daly's story really begins and ends with the pilots? Yes, actually, it begins way before. The pilot, he was actually looking, I think it was 1964, but I'm gonna, don't quote me on that year, although I'm on the radio. So. <laughs> it, it was earlier, several years earlier, he owned the Cleveland franchise, and he was, he was looking at Seattle as a place to move his Cleveland franchise much earlier. So he had already scoped out Seattle. He felt it was a, a growing community that he could move his team to, but that never, that never happened. So when it appeared clear that the pilots had to start a lot earlier and they had to buy a franchise uh, quickly and start the transition, they were not well-funded because neither of the Sorianos were in the money rich in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're kind of on the periphery. So they needed to find another person who could come in and help fund this thing. And, of course, uh he, he'd already looked at Seattle and thought it was a great place, so I think that's when he got in the picture. Somebody said, here's a guy you can go to. He's interested in Seattle. He tried to take a team there once. Let's get him in the picture. And I think Major League Baseball probably helped facilitate that discussion. Definitely understandable. Now, it's interesting because you brought up Kansas City earlier because there's a real comparison here because, like you said, uh, when you look at this story, it was ramped up a couple of years to keep everything even and such. But one, at least from a baseball standpoint, for for me anyway, and I'm only in my mid-30s, but know enough of the history of the game, that baseball-wise, it was a big, glaring difference as far as expansion draft between both what became the Royals and the Pilots where the Royals focused on younger players to build the organization, where the pilots went for more established guys. Mind you, yeah. you had a young guy named Lou Pinella, but for the most part, they <laughs> went for wrong. older guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with yeah. that, though? Oh, yeah. The, the pilots, 
picked older guys because they they were going to have to depend almost solely on uh, revenue from people coming in the gate. They had a they had a stadium that was in disrepair. They had a a, a really poor TV contract. They had a mediocre uh, contract for um, uh, radio. They they only got 20% of the concessions because they actually had to borrow some money from the concession company to start the team as well. So they, I mean, they had no other revenue to depend on. So they decided we got to we got to pick older guys who people will recognize, so they'll you know come to the game. And that turns out one of the guys that they didn't pick who was older was Lou Pinella. And unfortunately, on April Fool's Day, right before the season started, after he had a great spring, they traded him to Kansas City, where he became American League Rookie of the Year. So that was just another in a long string of decisions that just really hurt them badly. And to uh, speed things up a little bit there, uh, time-wise, I always thought of when you look at some of these uh, faux pas or blunders, I think of when I say speed up uh, for some of the younger fans, think of Major League where everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. When yeah. you think it a pilot. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was one of those perfect storm things, where right from the beginning, if they started too early, they weren't ready. The stadium wasn't ready, you know. And even after, you know, as they got into it, they passed this levy to build the kingdom, but the kingdom didn't end up getting built until 1976 because there's all kinds of political maneuvering in Seattle about where it should be built. So even that didn't go well. I mean, it, it's they got the money, but it was six years, seven years before it ever got built. So it was just one little thing after another. And, of course, the book also outlines several staffing issues that were really big issues. Uh, their their general manager, Marvin Milks, uh, was a problem, and that led to other problems of people he hired around him. And so it was just one thing after another, just like you said. But, you know, it's interesting because when, and I'm sure it's detailed in the book, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, that you have several years of lawsuits after the bankruptcy and between Major League Baseball and the area of Seattle and the state and yeah. everything like that, which yeah. once the kingdom was finally built, along with it. Sorry, we got people racing to go get the book <laughs> in the background there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but no, uh, as I was saying, though, you had all these lawsuits and everything else between multiple parties. Yeah. And once the kingdom was built, it actually led to the foundation of the Seattle Mariners, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Had the pilots not been there for that one year and helped pass that levy that got the kingdom and been preparing to build a new stadium, the Mariners wouldn't be there because that stadium had to be built. The other stadium was built in 1936 and was literally falling apart at the seams. So there's a direct connection between the pilots and the kingdom and the Mariners. And if you think about that, that stadium uh, was Flex Stadium, if I remember the name correctly was built during the Depression for like 350 
$1,000, which was a big price tag during that time period. So, yeah, you can and see it, it and falling and apart. And it's age. Yeah, it's age. Yes. So, what I probably should have asked this in the beginning because I know there was a little bit of a delay in printing and such like that. But from people who have read the book, what's the response been to you at least? Well, it's up live on Amazon now, and people who are, are uh, purchasing it through Amazon are really responding well. I think it's 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 got like nine or ten reviews so far because it's just been out a short time, and it's a five star. I've got nine, I think nine five star reviews and one one four star review, and people are basically saying, "Wow, this is." What's most interesting about it to some people is chief financial officer of the pilots then went to the brewers and at the time he was 22 years old he was the chief financial officer of the pilots when he was 22 chief financial officers of the brewers when he was 23 and he's one of my key sources the other guy was an administrator who was 29 at the time and he also went to milwaukee so they talk about both of those startups and 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 it's um kind of eye-opening to hear insiders talk about all of the problems that were there and how they were either resolved, which they were in Milwaukee, or not resolved, which they were in Seattle. So I think people are really looking at it as kind of an inside look at how, how to run a team or how not to run a team. And it's a team that's already been made infamous by Jim Boughton's 1960, uh, 1970 book, Ball Four. So it's a team they're already familiar with in some ways, at least to most baseball fans. But with these insiders, would you say when they were telling their story and everything that goes along with this these faux pas, uh, that it was night and day in terms of how things were run in Seattle versus Milwaukee? Well, I uh, not totally, because Milwaukee only got the team like six days before the 1970 season started. I mean, and they didn't have a front office. They didn't have anything, because they didn't know whether they were going to get the team or not. I mean, they ended up with Seattle Pilots uniforms taking the field with new Milwaukee patches sewn on them on opening day. So they were scrambling. I mean, they were really scrambling in the first year. And kind of in the second and third years, they were having some uh, problems with attendance and some other things. But the difference was Bud Selig had already been one of the stockholders for the Milwaukee Braves. And so he'd already had his feet wet in, in the major leagues and, and at kind of at the top levels. And he had a, a, a lot of inside contacts with major league people. So his leadership of the team in that early stage was much more, uh, you know, knowledgeable. Also, they had a stadium that had already had Major League Baseball in it. I mean, they had the Braves who had Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews and Warren Spahn. All those guys are Hall of Fame guys. So there was some significant differences in the context that they were operating in. But that first transition year, it was pretty. It was full of surprises in Milwaukee too. Yeah, and like you said, they didn't know for for like six days before opening day where. You get the infamous story of the equipment truck sitting in Utah waiting for the phone yeah. call to whether to go north to Seattle or back eastbound towards uh, right. Milwaukee. Exactly. You know, it's funny. The guy, one of the guys who works in the Mariners Clubhouse has purchased this book 
There's also a story in there about Lou Pinella turning over a table in the clubhouse. This guy was the guy who put the food on that table in that clubhouse, who, who, who contacted me and said, I was there when that happened. And his best friend was the guy who was in the truck in Utah waiting for the phone call. It's really been interesting how, what a small world it is. There have been so many coincidences. I mean, we were just talking about the transition to Milwaukee and, and sewing them patches on and off. A guy got a hold of me on, online on my Facebook page for the, off of the book. And he says, I know the guy whose mom took those patches off of those uniforms and sewed on the Milwaukee patches. You want to talk to him? And I said, well, sure. So he gave him his phone number. I called the guy up. He says, yeah, my grandma worked with a, a, a cleaning company that cleaned all the uniforms of all the sports teams. The brewers called her up and said, we need a seamstress to get this done. And she says, well, my daughter's a seamstress. So her daughter took all the patches off and put all the Milwaukee patches on and she kept the pilot's packet, uh, pilot's patches, and guess what she did with them? She took them to all the moms on her son's Sandlot team. They sewed the Seattle Pilots 1969 Major League patches on these kids' Sandlot t-shirts, and they took the field in 1970 on a Sandlot in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Unbelievable. And it's amazing, like you said there, uh, right before you started that, all the small connections with everything yeah. and everybody as far as not only in the baseball world, but just in the community itself with the release of this book. Yeah, I mean, but, here's, a, here's another one that's really interesting. So there's a story okay. in the book about Dewey Soriano's daughter who was left outside, who was the owner of the pilots. On opening day, was taken outside to meet the person who was going to sing the Star Spangled Banner. She's yeah. outside and they take the Star Spangled Banner singer in, and they leave Kathy Soriano outside, and she doesn't have a ticket to get back in. She's out there crying. Somebody finally came and got her. So I'm trying to get the book into Costco, and I, I have a friend who owns the Tacoma Rainiers, one of the principal owners of the Tacoma Rainiers AAA team for the Mariners, and I called him, and I said, you know anybody at Costco? He says, yeah, there's somebody on my board. And I said, well, could you have him give, have somebody from Costco in the book business contact me so I can ask them how to, what do I have to do to submit this book? So I get this email from the Costco book buyer, and she says, what's your book about? And I say, well, it's about the, it's about the 1969 uh, Seattle Pilots. And she says, oh, really? My best friend is Kathy Soriano, the little girl who was standing out there with no ticket to get back in on opening day in 1969. I mean, I about fell off my chair. Oh, talk about the uh, timing for yeah. sure on all these stories. So, yeah. you know, fast forward there before I wrap, because uh, you mentioned, mentioned an interesting little uh, tidbit there. Did the book end up in Costco, or are you still working on that? What's the deal with that? So it's still working on it. They're looking at it right now, deciding whether to get it. Right now it's live on Amazon ebook and paperback, uh, and you can get it in bookstores like Barnes & Noble, uh, because they can order it through a different source called uh, Ingram Spark. So it's available in bookstores, it's available on Amazon, and we're working on Costco. Fingers crossed. Yes, that's for sure. Uh, also, if folks want to find Rick, look up Rick Allen Author uh, online. You can find his Facebook page and everything else like that. Yeah, and the nice part about his page, too, I will throw this out there as well. You will see 
every couple of days, maybe once a day. You know, it depends on you know what's going on in the world. Trivia to throw out for baseball history, which is quite interesting, and we're throwing out yeah. some Pirates trivia with I got almost, this story. I've got two thousand six hundred followers in like six weeks. There's a lot of people interested in that kind of history and trivia and baseball background. It's kind of blown me away. I mean, there's there's probably a couple thousand people talking to one another on my Facebook pages on that author Facebook page. Really interesting. Well, before we let you go, and folks, like you said, the book app is available on Amazon and through Barnes and & Noble and all inside fish. Do you have any other new projects coming up uh, since this has been so enlightening for you and uh, somewhat successful uh, in the short time that it's been out? Yeah. Well, the answer is the first thing I want to do is make make sure this is uh, goes as far as I can help make it go you know, getting into Costco and continuing to talk to people on my Facebook pages. But I've already written uh, – I, I actually have a doctorate in public administration, and I did a lot of work in early childhood development. And I've already written a book about early childhood development and how it can really help communities uh, grow and help families grow strong. So I'm, I'm interested in working on that. And I'm working with a friend on a book called Fun, Fun, uh, Fun and Famous Movie Meals because I'm a cook. So I've got lots of – I'm retired, but I'm so busy I can't believe it. <laughs> is there anything you don't do, cooking, writing, you know, the, working with the kids? Is there anything well, you don't do? Is, oh, well, yeah, sure there is. And some of it I'm not sure I do too well. <laughs> 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 Thanks for asking, though. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to ask your wife on that side of things. But we'll, Yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. do cook most of the meals now. She cooked for 35 years, and I'm cooking for the rest of us. There you go. You're making up for it. Yep. So it's Rick Allen, author, if you want to search for him on Facebook. And make sure you check out Inside Pitch through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and hopefully soon Costco. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest and your time. Thanks a lot. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially with. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. 
Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, wrinkled ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. <laughs> Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hi, I'm Pat Williams of the Orlando Magic. Just a reminder, you're listening to the dulcet voices. Oh boy, crazy train radio. There's nothing like it. <laughs> 